This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by McGinty's Sportsman's Lunch with Dick Campbell on the 17th of June. For just £35, you can look forward to a traditional two-course meal, after-lunch liqueur, speech and Q&A session with the SPFL Championship Manager of the Year, Dick Campbell, and a surprise appearance by a former AFC player. For more info, call 01224 626 720 or visit McGinty's Meal and Ale's social media channels. Wednesday and you know what that means welcome to episode 46 of the ABZ football podcast I'm Gary Scott joining me this week as always it's Gavin J Baxter Gav how's it going I'm good thank you I'm always happy to be here talking about Dens Park in October with our good guest tonight absolutely <laughs> Graham Steele can't make it but we've got a more than able replacement it's his hat trick appearance on the show Tom what Tom welcome back Thanks very much. Yeah, Hattrick boy. It's, I'm doing three fingers. I'm aware this is not a visual medium. I'm holding up three fingers at the moment for my third, my third time. Thanks for having me back again. No, absolutely, mate. Listen, aim for a perfect Hattrick as well. One with the head tonight. Yeah, I led with the right the first time. Left. Yeah, we'll go all cerebral. Lead with the head. That's what it's going to be. And I feel like, I, I honestly, I feel like so bad. I feel like now, because we're going to focus in later on, obviously, on that October to December run and the season's just gone. Which is going to mean we're all going to have to have PTSD once again and <laughs> go through that Dundee Dense Park tobacco, which was the first night you were on with us. Um, and then everything that fell off the back of that. But hey, listen, timing and all that kind of good stuff is uh, it's what's all for, isn't it? It's like therapy. I mean, it, it's done now. It's all done. So now we can safely ridicule it and hopefully look at better things. The word therapy is coming up a lot therapy. Yes. on our show. I think we need to like change the title and like start it with some breathing exercises and get some <laughs> calming music. Then, you know, straight in, headshot. Lovely. In a week that saw poor wee Matty Longstaff find League Two just a bit too shit for him as his Mansfield Townside failed to the James Wilson-inspired Port Vale in the playoff finals that saw Real Madrid continue their remarkable record in European finals. It turns out beating Los Blancos in a knockout final in Europe is not for everybody. That saw the League Cup group stage draw set up a potentially emotional reunion for Aberdeen and one of our most glorious alumni in the form of Greg Wilde. And that saw Scott McKenna secure promotion to the English Premier League with his Nottingham Forest side this afternoon, alongside Max Lowe and Alan Tate. Lots of dandy dons (laughs) involved at Wembley today. It's another jam-packed episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. This week, part two of our deep dive into the 2021-22 season review. Tom, you're back. We just spoke about there to plough through the months, October through December, which brings us some of the lowest points of the campaign. Um, But before we do that, let's just take a quick look at the goings-on at AB24 this week. So first things first, the Premier Sports League Cup group stage draw was made on Wednesday. That was exciting, wasn't it, boys? Yeah, I mean, if I wanted to avoid the Premier League, the Premier Sports group stage, I just simply would not have been as shit as we were last season. But um, yeah, we've got uh, some some trips we're not used to. Um, an earlier start, what we're what 
seven weeks. Is it even so, much as that? <laughs> I think it's the middle of... 10th of July, so yeah. 10th of July, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, fun and games. And with uh, a reunion with Wraith Rovers, um, a, little, a little derby with Peterhead, a match against Dumbarton, and a Darren Young reunion. Absolutely. Sterling Albion. I'm not going to lie, watching Michael Stewart pull the balls out of the hat at one o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday was not quite the same experience as like UEFA.com, Skyscanner, Travag open on a different set of tabs. But hey, we are where we are, aren't we? There's no there's no uh, dedicated Twitter account to the coefficient for the, <laughs> the seedings. For, they're like, You're right, so we need point. If we had point zero four more from last week, right, we'd have been seeded against Ferenc Barros or something like that. No, no, there's none of that. <laughs> it was good though. I mean, we were first out the hat, so that was nice. Um, that 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 set the pulses racing, uh, and as you've just touched on there, drawing Group A alongside Wraith, Peterhead, Dumbarton, Sterling Albion. Uh, fixtures obviously followed up later in the week, so we open up with an away trip to Balmour on Sunday, the tenth of July. That was live on Premier Sports. Obviously, they're hoping for an instant uh, embarrassment there. Lovely stuff, lads. Uh, that's the first competitive visit for us to the Blue Toon in our history. That'll be an entertaining one. We, went, we then welcomed Dumbarton to Patojo on Wednesday the 13th before a trip to Fourth Bank on Tuesday the 19th before we finish up with a home fixture against Wraith Rovers on the 24th of July. Again, that one's live on Premier Sports as well. And hopefully, fingers crossed, that will um, give us an opportunity to exercise a demon from, well, last season, but also a couple of seasons before as well. Um, I, I recall Wraith Rovers sticking us out of the Scottish Cup under Mark McGee, uh, which was the infamous um, Spitgate night, I think. Does sound familiar, yes. Yeah. Is that not a replay as well? We took them to replay, isn't it? It was. Yeah. We, we scored like a last-minute equaliser at Yeah. Gary uh, McDonald. Gary McDonald. Um, popped up in the box unnoticed, not a surprise. Um, <laughs> and there we go. Just your general thoughts on the, on the draw itself, guys. I mean, it's not where we want it to be, but we are where we are now, so... I mean, as far as these things go, there's there, like there, there's some slightly intriguing. I, I mean, it would have been nice to have uh, a match against like one of the one of the non-league sides, you know, to to you know take that. I've never played a non-league side, so I think yeah. it would have been nice to have had Fraserburgh or, or Bonnyrigg or Bucky, or something like that, one of those sides. But there's some all right intrigue in there, you know, if you could. As much as these things could be, you would rather our group than like the Livy group with oh. Cali, Cove Rangers, Kelty and Albion Rovers, where there are at least two other sides that if you're not on your game, will definitely, definitely take points off you. Um, you know, it's, they're winnable games. It's a group that we should be able to comfortably win in three games. Four. Absolutely. I mean... We just touched on it. a chance, obviously, for us to exact revenge on Wraith Rovers um, after that horror show at Starks Park last season that we kind of touched on in the show last week. And it almost felt that was the beginning of what turned out to be a very, 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 very long, difficult season for us was that um, second half showing at, at Kirkcaldy last season. Um, Ian Murray's obviously just gone in at Wraith Rovers this week as their new manager. He's uh, obviously replacing uh, John McGlynn, as you just touched on as well, Tom. The last six months wasn't great. They were looking good for a playoff spot for a lot of the campaign and really just fell off a cliff. They ended up finishing just two points behind Park Thistle and fourth. But I think their season as well, it was, it was so overshadowed by the kind of David Goodwillie saga in January. It just felt like as a club, they just never really got their shit together again after that on the field or off the field. Um, the Peterhead one's an interesting one, obviously, just because it is a local derby, so to speak. This is one of the things I think we were all maybe hoping for with the League Cup group stages was at least in the last few seasons it's been regionalised we potentially could have had a nice little 
set of fixtures up and down the East Coast. And as you touched on, maybe one of the non-league sides in the form of like Fraser Brower, Bucky or something, just to add a bit of interest and intrigue to it. Pete Head, as it is, it's a bit of a, it feels a bit of a meh tie, to be honest. It's our first ever competitive visit to Peter Head. We've only ever played them once before. Um, that's our biggest ever victory, 13-0 back in 1923 in the Scottish Cup at Pataudry. They ended the season pretty well, Peterhead. Um, they went unbeaten in their last five games just to make sure they got away from the kind of drop zone in League One. But I think I read during the week as well, they, they've got a lot of players leaving Peterhead in the close season. So they might be in a very similar place to us where they're trying to get a bunch of guys together just to, 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 to gel. And having them on the opening day is probably not the worst situation to be in, I would think. Yeah, I think only, there's only... I think there's only 10 senior players contracted for yeah. next season. I don't even know if it's as many as that. It's, it's, a, it's like, I thought it was eight or nine maybe, but yeah, it's obviously Simon Ferry's away to go and um, manage open goal Broomhill. Um, that'll be an interesting one, I imagine. On I was going to say Amazon. There's no way Amazon are going to be picking that up, are they? What would be the equivalent? Premier Sports. Premier Sports. <laughs> <laughs> um, the one that, I mean, like Dumbarton dropping out, I touched on earlier on, a potential reunion with our you know legendary Greg Wild. Now I did consult the Dumbarton FC website today uh-huh. just to clarify the situation with their squad for next season. Um, first things first, their website is very primitive. <laughs> Going to call that out right away. Is it GeoCities? But uh, <laughs> Paul Payton, the staunch Paul Payton, he has been released, so he's not going to be there. Okay. But Greg Wild is under contract and is still with the club and is planned to be there next season. So this should in fact happen. Excellent. And that means we can dust off that whole Greg Wilde conversation segment one more time again, which saves us having to do at least a little bit of work the week of that podcast. So that's fine. Um, this is a, this is our fourth meeting with Dumbarton in the last nine seasons. Each time we've come through by one goal to nil, each time, each game has been fucking horrific. So <laughs> I am not looking forward to this one in any way, shape or form. But they're in real strife as well at the moment, Dumbarton. I finished second bottom in League One last year got pumped 5-2 by Edinburgh City and aggregate the playoffs, so they're down. I mean, they were in the Championship just four seasons ago. Um, I know there's some big issues, I think, there as well in terms of like the ground and owners and all that kind of good stuff. So uh, that, that hopefully having them at home, I think, is probably more favourable for us as well. First home game. Um, as of this moment, they have signed 12 players. So again, same story, huge overhaul in the squad. Um, yeah. League 2, shambles of a club. So you'd like to think that we can... Dispatched them pretty pretty easily um, in comparison to last time when I remember, recall Sam Cosgrove diving to win a penalty and that being it. They play in black and black and yellow, don't they? They do, yes. It's, it's a bit like watching Hecken at the start of last season. There we go. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Try to find the positives where I can. Um, Hopefully it'll be like watching Aberdeen against Hecken last season. Fingers crossed. Uh, Sterling Albion, it's been 25 years since we last played Sterling Albion in any sort of competitive fixture, which is... Seems mad. Suddenly, I've been on one of those clubs that seem just to always be around um, without necessarily ever doing much, but they're always just there. Um, we beat them 2 0 last time out in Sterling. League Cup quarterfinals goals from Joe Miller and a certain Stephen Glass booked a place at Hamden in the semi final for us that didn't really go to plan. And as you just touched on, Tom, it's a potential reunion with our ex captain in the form of Darren Young, who went into Sterling Albion at the back end of last season. They ended I think it up in seventh spot, I think, in League League Two last year. So they'll be looking to kick on this season as well. Uh, Darren Young's probably got a bit of a point to prove as well after what happened with him at East Fife, wasn't it, where he, he ended up getting the dump from. And that, for me, is just one of these that potentially just a good away trip that we've not had for a long time. I'd be, I think I'd be lying if I said that I'm going to be overly keen for a Tuesday night trip to Sterling for a Premier <laughs> Sports 
League Cup game. But uh, yeah, that's uh, what I was kind of hoping for was away trips to grounds we've not been to, and that does tick that box. I will probably go to this, like just because it's um, like I'm, I'm in Glasgow, so it's not that far for me to. And and it's a nice wee away ground. It's you know yeah. a nice a nice summer day out in Stirling, nice part of the world. Yeah, I'll probably take that one in. Yeah, a wee cheeky half day off work. It'll be be grand. What what yeah. could go wrong? What could go wrong? But yeah, I mean, Tom, you touched on. It. I think as as draws go, it's probably about as as decent a draw as we probably could have got. I mean, when you looked at the. I can't believe we're talking like this about the group stages of the League Cup. I honestly can't. But given the way our season finished last season, given the fact we've like signed nobody yet, I'm not panicking, but you know, I, I just would have thought by now we might have had a couple of things announced and done and got over the line. Although it does look as though we're signing an Albanian international. Which is fun. That's that is fun. That's, isn't it? that's fun. That's novel. Yeah, good good luck tracking down more than one YouTube video of him. But <laughs> <laughs> I liked all somebody the other day today tweeted about this. It's good to see our scouting networks like really improving. And I was like, well, the proof will be in the fact that he's not horseshit. Like just signing guys because they're like random from random leagues is one thing. If they're brilliant, excellent. That is our scouting network in full flow. If they're not, then it's not really adding anything to us. But it's definitely intriguing, isn't it? It's 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 better than signing somebody from League Two in England on loan. Well, it's it's exciting. It's more exciting than you know the Aberdeen Twitter, you know, tweeting announce Murray Davidson on three year deal. <laughs> so it's um, yeah. so uh, Albanian international. I mean, yeah, like you say, um, it builds up excitement, doesn't it? When you don't know exactly what you're getting, there's that sense of anticipation, and hopefully, when he arrives, he's a bit more Vicente Bajawan and a little less Jeffrey Devisher. I think when as well, though, like if you can't have. You kind of you've got to have a bit of we've got like seven weeks where we're allowed to have a bit of optimism. Yeah. So like a, anyone who's linked, yes, they're going to be. Bro- this guy's played against Spain. He's played against like his seven. Like Albania are not totally terrible at football. Yeah, they're like they've been gradually improving and hanging in things. You know, he's played against England. He's played, so he has played at the highest level. If he's genuinely coming in, then he's going to be amazing. I'm convinced of it for the next seven weeks. If if he's signing for us, then yeah, he's going to be. A, it's going to be an Albanian god. My only concern is I think that he's in his recent career, he's been relegated for the last three seasons in a row. That's my only slight concern about this. So he's got a kind of Nigel Quasi quality to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a wonderfully niche reference there, Gavin. I like it. Um, that's what I'm here for. I mean, I was just going to say, you know, when you talk about he's played against these teams and he played against those teams, um, I just remember Ronnie Hernandez being pictured against Lionel Messi for the longest time. <laughs> And yeah. that, all that didn't work out so well. Uh, this doesn't feel like a money laundering scheme to me, though. That's a that's a very bold statement that I do not wish to attach my name to. Just saying, just I'm just I'm just saying, just throwing it out there. But yeah, I mean, like it's got to be four wins from four, hasn't it? That's good. That's got to be the target. It has to be. I think so. I mean, I think the the Wraith Rovers game is the potentially trickiest, and it's at home, so we should we should definitely have enough to dispatch them, as you say there form their standing their reputation took an absolute battering in the second half of last season um Ian Murray's gone in big job um to switch things around for them it's the same with all the other teams as someone who's got a real irrational dislike of Peterhead and I can't remember why anymore (laughs) I personally hope we stick 14 past them as Tom's alluded to there's banana skins in that draw that we've avoided like in the form of Cove Rangers and Kelty Hearts and the teams that got promoted last season in much healthier, more positive um, mentality than we are. 
it's got to be four wins from the from the four and just give us a, a real kickstart to the season. The Horror Show Part 2. So in part one of this review, I started off the segment um, talking about how this was like the three of us at this point kind of almost collectively putting our balls into the vice. This time I kind of feel like we're kind of taking a fresh piece of sandpaper to them. <laughs> <laughs> After having them had in the vice for, for three months. We ended last week after the 3-2 defeat at Paisley, which meant we were at that point eight games without winning any competitions. We're already knocked out of the League Cup. Pressure's really starting to build already at this point on the new management team. Um, after that defeat in Paisley, and this was a bit of a kind of theme in that run last week as well, we kept on coming up against teams who were struggling in some way, shape or form. You know, St. Johnston arrived at Patoja without a win. We went to St. Mirren, who hadn't had a win. Next up for us was a Celtic side that, let's be honest, were undergoing some growing pains under Ange Postacoglu at this point. They hadn't won an away fixture in the league since February. They were sitting sixth in the league. They'd only won one win in their last... They'd only had one win in the last four. Dundee United had just done a number on them at Parkhead, getting a 1-1 draw. Surely, a chance to put this new-look Celtic team under pressure and get our season back on track, right? I distinctly recall around this time tweeting a lot about how Ange Postacoglu wasn't going to last the season. <laughs> yeah, it definitely felt like that. I mean, it, it, it felt early doors like he'd inherited a, he'd inherited a, def- a defence. He'd made a lot of signings that, like, Jota looked good, Furashi looked good. The, there were players in the midfield that looked like they could kick up, but, but that defence stank yeah. like it stank to high heaven they still had joe hart taking fresh air swipes at things and they could definitely be got at um but not by us no not by <laughs> us at all stephen glass made the decision to drop joe lewis bringing gary woods in for his first start of the season and we gifted celtic the lead after just 11 minutes a quick throw in down the right hand side you might remember it we didn't close down the quick throw in quickly enough at all turnbull throws across in the box and Kyogo somehow manages to chest the ball in I don't even think I've ever seen that before, but I did that day. A really, really passive first half from us, despite the fact that Celtic offered up so many opportunities for us to really press them. Because at one point, Hart, I think Starfelt, and I think Carter Vickers played that day. But they were playing like a little triangle amongst themselves on like their six-yard box. And it was like, we were just like sat and let them do it. And you're like, what are we doing? Why is nobody making any sort of pressure on these guys? They're hopeless. You're right. Joe Hart was like, Joe Hart had a nightmare that day. And we never even really put him under pressure. Amazingly, though, we, we managed to get a goal back 10 minutes in the second half. Um, Ramsey's corner is met by Lewis Ferguson, whose looping header somehow finds its way over Adam Montgomery. There might be a little bit more about him coming up um, in these segments later on. And then it goes, Scott Brown in his first match against his former employees disappeared from the pitch with, and I'm going to use inverted commas here, cramp on 70 minutes before Montgomery then played a huge part in the winner from Jota. We're now nine without a win. Just a horrendously passive performance again against the Celtic team who were absolutely there to be got at. Yeah, Adam Montgomery proving the point that white men can't jump with that header. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I recall we st- I recall we changed something in the second half. I can't remember exactly what it was. It might have been a shape or we switched Samuels over to the right side. I think we. Yeah. I feel we might have changed shape as well. But um, having a good start and then we get the equalising goal and you think given the pressure they were under at the time, there was a real opportunity to test them. And then we just sat back and it was, you know, really insipid and passive. And by the end of it, it was inevitable what was going to happen. And that was that easy Celtic winning goal. There was like a recurring theme for an awful lot of these games for, for 10 minutes. You thought, mm-hmm. ah, yeah, maybe, 
maybe there's there's something maybe there is something in this and then by the end of it you're like no there absolutely isn't and when the, the equalizer went and there was a little period where you thought at, at least I kind of thought we'll hold on for a draw and that'll be damaging to them, but we really should have, we really should get at them. You know, with a draws, we'll be, we'll be happy with the draw where, you know, you really want to put your foot on their, your, your foot on their throat a little bit because they really were hopeless at that point. Um, but then we just invited late pressure. Like you said, Scott Brown, a man who played, has played pretty much 60 games every single season, never got subbed off at Celtic. Every every season for the last what fifteen years, it's just he got those Celtic cramps fairly <laughs> regularly, and uh, just yeah, I don't know what it was about facing the his former employers when he's still seen as something of a legend that he just didn't quite didn't quite fancy it quite as much, and um, and yeah, it ended up being a far more a much more passive performance. I think yeah, we we did we switched Samuels to. Um, the other wing and at the start of the second half and that did have a bit of an um, bit of an impact. But even looking back at there are going to be a lot of players from this season who will be really difficult sparkle answers. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect way to describe much of our recruitment this season. Matty Longstaff played 88 minutes that day, by the way. I just, I just want to throw that out there. Uh, this will shock. I don't recall him playing. I don't recall him playing either. <laughs> um, I do now remember that the first half they had so much joy down our left flank because Samuels wasn't covering for McKenzie and he got ripped apart by Jota or Abada. It was Abada and Turnbull were really like bullying him. Yeah and I remember that game I mean there were alarm bells going off in my head about the management team as it was. I remember we didn't do anything for 45 minutes to address that and that really made me concerned about the manager's ability to suss out problems and identify solutions our press was all over the shop as well first half i don't even remember it gav but there was like times where like ramirez would go and nobody else would join him or hayes would like hayes for being the most experienced guy in our team at the point at that point there was times where actually you could see us actually decide well we're not going to press we're just going to let them play and dick about here for a little while and see what happens and then hayes would kind of just get lose the patience and just break out and, and try and chase somebody and then they could suddenly make a uh, a couple of quick passes and suddenly they were away down the left-hand side. Yeah. It almost felt as though actually, we really, we probably actually, it's, it's our charitable wing once again of the of, of the Donza season. We, we probably kick-started Celtic's season that day. I, Am I right in thinking they went unbeaten from that point in the league? I don't know if they went unbeaten the entire season, but I do recall them celebrating in a way that I would not expect Celtic to celebrate beating Aberdeen at Pataudry. Yeah. Given how bad we were at that time as well, it was a real... It's a game-changing victory for them. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, I do just recall, as you say, our pressing being so... It seemed confused. It seemed the mm-hmm. like players didn't know what they were doing and yeah. some were acting on impulse. Sometimes we would press as a team, sometimes we wouldn't. It seemed like they didn't really know exactly what their uh, what their job was. Yeah, they did. They went. Not only did they go unbeaten from that point on, they only dropped points in the league three times, from four times from that point on. Uh, it definitely did. Um, and... That first half, especially, there there were an awful lot of players who you, you like, like Jota and Abada, uh, who I thought maybe you know the, the Celtic have had a habit of like loaning guys who just they come they play ten games then they disappear and you never see anything more of them or paying three million pounds for somebody 
rather than just you know, pushing the boat out and paying five yeah. for the guy who know you who you know is going to be good. Um, and there was a feeling about quite a few of of the squad that that. But I mean, they were taking pot shots and all sorts in that first half. They were all over us. It, it, it was, and yeah, like you say, at the end of the game, they they celebrated that. But I mean, partly because it was a it was a relatively late winner, but it felt like that's the sort of game that if they'd played anybody else on that day, yeah, they probably wouldn't have won. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of weeks off for us, which meant that the pressure was really starting to build at this point around the club as we headed to a Saturday early evening kickoff. A massive stroke here to make this an early evening kickoff, given everything that was going around at the time. At Dens Park, and what was billed as a must-win fixture against the Dundee side sitting bottom of the table wait for it without a win in the league at this point <laughs> surely here a chance to get our season back on track surely surely all I have to comment on this without before going into the actual game itself is this, this is my girlfriend's one and only away game in Scotland <laughs> Gary Woods kept his place in the starting lineup um another team start from Aberdeen that that evening we went in at halftime goalless a, a real nothing first half as I as I recall and then the Dark Blues raced into a two-goal lead within about 15 minutes of the break. Uh, Charlie Adam being given the freedom of Dundee to bully Aberdeen all over the park. Lee Griffiths scored his first goal in his return to Dundee after breaking what was one of the worst offside lines I've ever, ever seen before uh, McCowan scored from about 18 yards, one that I still won't forgive Gary Woods for. Somehow we managed to get ourselves basically straight back in the game. Ramirez, with a really good finish actually from a really tight angle, on 67 minutes and you think right we've got 23 minutes here to effectively rescue the manager's job it almost felt like because it, it, it two nil down the, the the away support was already gonna get you know you're getting sacked in the morning and steven steven get to fuck and all that but again lots of hustle and bustle created fuck all in the way of any clear-cut chances a 50 feet in a row and as i just touched on the atmosphere in the away section was well pretty toxic it's fair to say that was, I mean, it, one of the worst. It, it was, there, there have been worse games. I've seen us play worse for a game. I've seen us being absolutely turned over um, and just not turn up for the for a, a whole period. But the the sort of 20 minutes at the start of the first, of the, of the second half yeah. was just like one of the most inept things I have ever seen us attempt to do. Like you say, like it, Dundee at that point, I think they had, I, I don't know what they, they, the precise stats of it was, but like they'd won like one game in a year without Charlie Adam. Like yeah. you, you do not know, need to know an awful lot about football to look at that squad and go, right, if we can kind of stop Charlie Adam doing Charlie Adam things, then we're halfway there. Nobody thought to, nobody thought to do like and any one of our midfield could have could have had that that job ended up just Charlie Adam taking the piss out of Scott Brown for almost the entirety of the game and so they, they like bossed the midfield completely but like you like you mentioned that that is it wasn't even I don't even know if you can call it an offside line it was just it was just a long punt up the park and everyone going oh yeah yeah, that's that's going. That's nobody's getting at that. We are we are so high, we're like we're practically on the halfway line. Yeah, and it's not like they had massively pacey strikers. Just drop a little deeper, and that's what like for for all sorts of reasons. I mean, uh, Charlie Adam likes playing playing forty yard balls. Just if you can't stop him from playing the forty yard balls, make sure there's no space in behind for those forty yard balls to come. Um, 
and some and and you know being two 0 down and being like that right that's it that was the point I think was the the like I said the the uh, the, the first time I was on uh, the podcast but at that point it was like no I think this is not going to work this is not going to work at all I think this is the point I'm I'm done and there was we'll come on to there was a little bit of a a, a revival that maybe suggested that all wasn't lost but I think deep down this was the game where it was clear that it was not going to work yeah I don't want to sound as though I'm kind of rewriting history a little bit here but um, I mean I think we did actually allocate someone to the job of marking Charlie Adam out of the game it was Scott Brown and Charlie Adam <laughs> made him look like a fucking idiot for 90 minutes. He nutmegged Scott um, Brown at one point, didn't he? Yeah, I, I he think, did. I think yeah. more than once, perhaps. Um, yeah. It was it a was... game where Scott Brown, I felt like that was, again, alarm bells as to his capability to actually play uh, for Aberdeen and for us to achieve what we wanted to achieve if he's effectively first name on the team sheet every week. Um, as Tom says, the first 20 minutes, especially of that second half, I mean... The two goals, the second goal is equally horrendous. You've got defenders who don't want to defend, midfielders who are not, you know, bursting guts to get back into even like make things difficult for um, for McCowan. The atmosphere in the away end was absolutely toxic. And it was the first game. I remember just thinking when I was there, I can't see a way back for Stephen Glass from this moment. I don't think it really happens that managers are, you know, chanted sacked in the morning by their own fans and they go on to have long prosperous times as uh, as manager of that club um and yeah it, it illustrated a real lack of fight within the team you know you make that point we score i think it was a good cross from mckenzie from what i recall and ramirez um gets the ball in from the a tight angle and then a ryan hedges shot from 25 yards i think is the only chance we created um, the manager at that point didn't seem to have any plans on how to change things. I think we brought Jet on very, very late and punted balls up to him, which he couldn't get off the ground. Gravity. Um, yeah, uh, a really dark day. And I, we're going to talk about this in a minute. Obviously, the sports sound <laughs> um, debacle and then what's kind of been revealed subsequently um, in terms of what the board's plans were, uh, barring allegedly barring player intervention but i think if extenuating circumstances without doubt but if he had gone that day i don't think he would have actually had really much in the way of room for complaint no i mean at that point we were 10 without a win in all competitions at that point uh, a fifth league defeat on the spin and yeah tom that was that that was the night the monday night yeah, just to come on and have a chat about that game. and Lovely to meet you all for the first time in uh, <laughs> such, such happy circumstances. And we were having a great time reviewing <laughs> reviewing that uh, reviewing that one. When then, well, the pressure was getting so much that um, Dave Cormack decided it was time to break open, or to break cover, uh, break open the Rioja and dial up BBC Sports Sound for, let's just say, one of the more entertaining for all of the wrong reasons, appearances that anyone's had on that show this year, I think. Um, the chairman, in, in his in his defence, launched uh, into a pretty impassioned defence about Stephen Glass, the process, and had the right old go at Kenny McIntyre, which, to be fair, was pretty fucking funny. Um, <laughs> but at the time, we, we spoke about it a little bit because it, it was almost happening like in real time as we were recording, so we we're kind of having to like, try and see what's going on. At the time, it felt ill-advised at best. I think that was your your comment, Tom. Um, you're obviously your actual proper day job is in this 
field. Yeah. Um, you know, ill-advised was the best way for you to put it. In reflection now, again, it it, it hasn't aged well at all, has it? No, I mean, I think we we everyone knows what, what was what the intention was, and it was that, and you know, some of the criticism had been unfair, and some of the things that were said had been unfair. But if the object was to relieve a bit of pressure on Stephen Glass and point out that yeah, there had been some pretty horrendous results and the run of form had been terrible, but you know maybe there were there were some mitigating circumstances, maybe there were some positives to look at. We what we really need to do is not turn this next, you know, not dial up the pressure. That's the that's the worst thing that you could really do. That that becomes you know rather than it being the second, the inside page of the the inside back page of the sport about like the the Hibs game being a must win for his job. It's a three page spread on exactly what's you know the the amount of pressure that that Glass is under, um, because the chairman's gone public with his thoughts on it. I, I completely understand why he did it, and he was backing his decision and all these, but it it did not help circumstances. Well, I mean, speaking of the Rioka, there's only way, one way I'm getting through this part of the show. <laughs> um, I I recall, because I think, I don't think we had the opportunity. Did we have the opportunity to listen to it before we recorded? No, we were, it was happening in real time, I think. As I we were so, recording, yeah. it was going on. So we were kind of having to... Um, I feel that Graham was kind of like live texting us what was going on while we were recording. <laughs> yeah. And because I think Graham well, wasn't available. I think as well, I, I actually had people who listened to the show and stuff, um who we occasionally direct message with and stuff, who were basically like telling me what was being said and just basically at that point being like, it's all gone to shit and he's just done this and just done that. And at that point you're like, oh man, like I kind of want to finish this recording so we can go and listen to this. And I ended up driving, because I was at yours, Gavin, that night. Um, you were, yes. And I ended up driving home and listening to like the BBC Sports, uh, the BBC Sounds app or something to listen back to it on the drive home and nearly like plowing my car off the road with, laughter at the point when they brought the boy on from um from, from where was it from what supporters group did he come on from but the, the guy that came on and mangled the ebb school quote like the dawn supporter like i can't remember what they're called i can't remember but the mangled the, the ebb school quote um challenge now and begin to see who had the better knees it was amazing <laughs> like it's just like i knew honestly it was just like oh my god what's going on what, what is happening to our football club i much prefer it when it's other teams <laughs> yeah, it felt like that's when we really took the bat and on that we're going to be the banter years team for the foreseeable yeah. future. Um, I think, yeah, I, I can see the the thinking behind it in terms of let's take the pressure off the manager or take the attention away from the manager and then maybe turn it back on to the people that made the decision or, or whatever. But um, I just remember thinking as it was happening and I was listening to it, I didn't think the media were that harsh. I didn't think that I think they could have gone in a lot harder on us than they did. And we wouldn't have had any real, you know, recourse to say that's unfair. The consequence of that segment was that the Aberdeen fans in Dens Park were chanting, the manager needs to go. And that's, you know, I think that's what they were responding to. I think Dave Cormack's appearance, you know, it might have been well-intentioned, but it did, as Tom says, it just increased the pressure tenfold. And we're going into a game against a team at the time that, in theory, we're almost the perfect team to play against us because, you know, we can't defend, we can't hold a line. Wing, our wing backs are getting exposed every week and Hibs have got probably the best player in the league out with the old firm 
in Martin Boyle. So it seemed like it was just an absolute disaster. And, you know, it really did ramp up the pressure for that game at Pataudry. I think we touched on it that night as well, though. I mean, we were going into then a triple header against Hibs, Rangers and Hearts, which were all to take place in the space of a week. I don't think any of us, I haven't gone back and listened to it, but I can't imagine any of the three of us who were on the call that night were like, yeah, I feel dead confident about what's going to happen. I, I'm not going to lie, I was shitting it at that point. <laughs> I think I was just kind of resigned to it. Like, I, I, I think after the Dundee game, there was almost a feeling like oh, if they're not going to, you know, if we're not going to make a move now, then it'll be coming pretty soon because yeah. there's no way we're getting out of these three games um, with any kind of dignity. Um, so for the Hibs game, and I think you, I have a weird feeling that at the end of it, we sort of like optimist, blindly optimistic. They were like, "Yeah, <laughs> sure, we'll win this one," but like all the all the build up chat was like, "This is the we are the, this is the worst possible team that we can face." We are they were in really good form. Yeah. Subsequently, they I mean they have had a worse second half of the season than us in many ways, um, but at that point they were absolutely flying and they were looking really, really dangerous. But I think I certainly felt like the Hibs game, if we lose, it'll mean there's change and change is needed. The Rangers game was the one I had the big fear about purely because it was just at that point, it was like, we're just not, we're, we're not, we just don't look like we can win games and we're shipping stupid goals all over the place. And I was just like, I had to, I remember when we got beat 9-0 at Parkhead. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to go there. And then I think we played Rangers away like a week later, two weeks later. It was like our next away game and I had tickets to Ibrox. And you know when you're like going in and you're just like, I can't deal with us getting like pumped for 10 here. <laughs> like, because we haven't jettisoned the manager at that point. McGee was still in charge for that game. And we got out of Dodge that day with like a 2-0 defeat and it felt like we'd won. I swear to God. I was like, honestly, I left Ibrox that day being like, take that. <laughs> well, you have to remember it was only three points we lost against Celtic that day. <laughs> um... Yeah, I, I just recall talking about Hibs and as Tom says, I was being so pessimistic and then getting to predictions and being like, yeah, 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 no worries. 3-0, scud them. Uh, but very much feeling that at that point, it, it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when the change was going to happen. And we just touched on it. First up was that visit to Petodre of Jack Ross's Hibs. They were sitting fifth in the table at the time. Joe Lewis was, just, was restored to the starting lineup uh, that day after the Gary Woods experiment had well, failed, let's put it that, let's put it politely. And we came out the traps actually looking like we were up for a fight. We actually started as well in that game in a 3-5-2 formation, the first time we'd lined up that way this season. And it seemed to be paying dividends pretty much straight off the bat. Christian Mirez was a really, really good goal. Um, there was some really good build-up play there from Scott Brown and, and Calvin Ramsey. We went in, half-time, a goal looked good, and I thought we looked good value for it at the time. We'd restricted Martin Boyle to, I think, one long-range effort in the first half. Not really much else for Hibs to show. Scott Brown ended up being forced into the back for himself because of an injury to Declan Gallagher in the first half. I think Calvin Ramsey went off as well, didn't he, in the aftermath of the goal? Yes, this was the beginning of his injury problems. Yeah, Scott Brown looked pretty comfortable in that setup for the rest of the game. Darren McGregor picked up a second yellow in the final couple of minutes for Hibs, but on the whole, we were pretty comfortable that day, and all of a sudden, we're back to winning ways, and well, maybe things aren't quite so bad was up in Inverness and we were kind of following the game on Twitter and everyone just expecting this to go catastrophically wrong. And, you know, all indications were we're starting well and then we scored. And 
but we're still you know waiting for the inevitable that we don't keep clean sheets. Yeah. So we're we're going to have to score again at least once. Um, and it was not was it wasn't just that it was like, like probably the most probably maybe the the maybe the second most comfortable after the St Mirren game the most comfortable win that we had all in in terms of like keeping them at arm's length. It's the sort of win that we used to have against Hibs two or three seasons ago. Um, and not it wasn't a win from a side that's struggling at the bottom with their backs to the wall and digging it out. Um, it was what we kind of hoped we would get. And I think that was one of the reasons that it wasn't just uh there wasn't just a feeling of, oh well, the pressure's relieved for now. It was like, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is not this is the, the players have obviously not down tools. He's obviously not lost the dressing room. There was a, more than enough in that. And there was a bit of flexibility. And actually, there looked like there was a future for Scott Brown in a back three. I think that the, the, there was a lot more in that than if they'd persevered with that throughout the rest of the season. Then I think, no. We touched on the last week with Graham Hunter about this. Graham said he wanted Scott Brown in a back three about a month in. Even yeah. before it actually happened, yeah. I kind of felt the same. I, I felt the same. I must admit, after that performance against Hibs that day, he slotted in that. I, I'd been crying out for ages in the run up to this ending that we should switch that back three. I think if I go back and listen to that podcast after the Dundee game, I think even there I was talking about. I felt our squad, <clears throat> the makeup of it, the the players that we had in and around the first team, lent itself to a three, and then how you then shaped it from that, you could kind of tweak whether you went with like a kind of. Christmas tree or whether you went kind of three four one two or whether you went three five two whatever there was you could do things with it but I felt it seemed like the natural thing to do even to, for no other reason than to stop our young fullbacks being so badly exposed all the time with balls over the top of them um, and so when we came out with that three five two that day I was like okay I'm I like this this it it suits Declan Gallagher Declan Gallagher has played his best football. I think in his career in a three. Um, David Bates looked like he was starting to kind of get to grips with it, and then we just looked we looked comfortable that day. Um, it, it, it's hard to tell now, looking back in retrospect, because obviously Hibbs' season was not a particularly good was not a particularly good one. I mean, Tom, you hit on it. There's there's an argument to be made that their last six months was actually worse than ours in a roundabout way. Well, I mean, from that point on, I mean, I, I don't know if that was the exact moment, but it's almost like the opposite effect of what happened for Celtic winning. Losing against us seemed to set them on a downward spiral where they lost not one, but two managers. So Yeah, absolutely. The thing as well, I remember, is I'm just going to touch this really quickly, Gav. After the Dundee game, Tom, you talked about the idea about the manager and the ability to, instead of adopting this Kevin Keegan-esque, you score three, we'll score five philosophy, the ability for us to like actually lock a game down and go goal up and lock the game down and just like, that's it, that's what we're doing. And against Hibs, we kind of did it. Like the last 20, 30 minutes of that game, as I recall, very little happened, but we gave Hibs no encouragement to try and make anything happen. It felt like actually a vintage Derek McInnes performance against like a Hibs-type performance where you get the goal, shut it down, they're not going to score against us and move on from there. And that was actually the reason why I came out of the game actually feeling quite hopeful. I was like, okay, maybe the, the, the manager's actually... Maybe he's listened to our podcast and he listened to Tom. I'm <laughs> <laughs> well, very happy for us to take some credit for it. Like, why not? Let's say yes. Let's say that's definitely what happened. Um, but it was. It was like you don't. I mean, I think I said this at the time. You don't sack a manager when they've had bad results. You sack them when you don't think it's ever going to get better. They don't. They, they've lost the power to change it for the the better. So, and after the Dundee game, hundred percent. There is no way that there is any way of coming back from this. This is like. 
relegation battling, the, there is no fluidity to this whatsoever and any optimism for the start of the season is gone. That Hibs game was measured, controlled, totally controlled the midfield. Uh, Watkins and Ramirez looked like they had they linked up really nicely. The wing-backs worked really well. Um, and although Hibs hadn't, like, weren't totally... I think they had a, a bunch of games in hand at that point. And, and they had Martin Boyle, who was, you know, was was killing teams every single week. Um, and kind of keep them at arm's length to, to score, keep them at arm's length for the best part of, you know, the next 50 minutes did suggest that maybe tactically Glass had changed something and had hit upon something that would be the basis for a, a decent, decent run for the remainder of the season. Uh, worth remembering as well that the Ramirez goal, it's a really good finish for Ramirez. Yeah. It's not a difficult one. It's not an easy one at all. It's a, I think it's on the volley and he controls it very well past uh, past the goalkeeper. And the, the important thing, or maybe not the important thing, but the, the most noticeable thing about that goal was the celebration, uh, which largely involved Ramirez running directly to the manager as if to say, like, he's not going anywhere. This is this is okay. Let's keep the faith. Um, it did show that it was perhaps a team that was fighting. Um, that was contrary to the overwhelming evidence of Paisley, um, where we did not stand up to the challenge when we went down to 10 men, or Dens Park, where we just, you know, wilted um, in that second half especially. Um, but it did seem to show that, yeah, I think possibly Theo Tenkat might have spoken about this, that you don't sack a manager when like the, the team are still playing for him. Yeah. And that seemed to indicate that, yeah, not all was lost. We were in a bad state, but we were going somewhere. So just, yeah, you know, have some patience and keep the faith. It's that thing, is it? Like, it's, it's this whole thing where you can look back in retrospect and where you get fed things from, from people in and around the club at the time now. And you go, you know, we've heard from people who are within that dressing room that, Around that time, the Dundee game, there was a real, real risk that, that Dave Cormack was going to sack Glass. And it took some of the senior members of the squad to go to Cormack and basically be like, you can't sack him. You need to keep him. We, we, It's on us. It's not on him. you know. And we've heard before that, uh, and I'll, I'll happily say it, a lot of the players really liked Stephen Glass's coaching. They really liked his, his coaching style. They really liked the work they were doing on training. Um, it just didn't just didn't work out for whatever for whatever way. He, he I think he did have certainly at that point of the season, the backing of a lot of guys in the dressing room still. Um you could see it like you say, Gavin, the Ramirez celebration um that day. Again, you only really notice these things now in retrospect, you know how the rest of the whole season pans out. And like I say, when you've been fed some of the information about some of this stuff. But the other thing about that which I think is interesting, we've not really touched on it because I think in the in recent weeks, all of our focus about Christian Ramirez has been about how he's kind of down tools a wee bit since Glass was, I say a wee bit, how he's down tools since (laughs) Glass has left, you know, he's not looked the same sort of player. When you go back and you look at Christian Ramirez's goals for Aberdeen this season, the vast majority of them are like first-time finishes, instinctive finishes. Um, Graham Hunter touched on it last week, Gav, when you kind of raised the issue about him, um, about him down in tools. If he was, if he does come back after, after close season, which I think is still very much up for debate whether he, he comes back into the fold for next season. Is there a decent SPFL premiership striker in there if you can give him the service that allows him to like finish in an instinctive manner the way that he did in that period, especially at the start of last season, do you think? If you can build a team that works in such a way that literally all he has to do is head the ball towards goal or shoot at goal, yes. 
if you can't do that and you need more from your number nine, then I would suggest no. Um, the worst thing you can do for Ramirez is give him time to think. It's all instinct. And, um, I simply don't think that he has the required qualities to be a number nine in an Aberdeen team where we're going to be. The, the technique's there and he is a very, very good natural finisher. But like, you know, like, like you said, Gav, the all-round work rate isn't there. It's quite, I mean, it's hard to know what Goodwin will want because he's worked with he's worked with teams and forwards that are meant to kind of punch above their weight rather than like he's he he's always wanted a an abika or a main or like a you know endeavor hustle yeah. and bustle from it from his strikers. Whereas I think what we really have needed was was somebody to just put the ball in the back of the net. We're going to largely an Aberdeen team in a given season is going to create more chances than a St. Mirren team. Um, I just, I'm just not sure how he fits. I'm not sure how he fits. I, I would like him to, because I think when he was scoring goals and when he was playing with a smile on his face, he seems like a really likable character. And he is a very, very good finisher. I think there is a tendency to go, well, you know, he did, he was a top scorer. He, he was, well, he wasn't top scorer. I think Lewis Ferguson got one of them. But, you know, he he was scoring regularly for, for a while, got double figures. Quite a lot of players got double figures this season without penalties. And it, it is not that hard. It's it's not that easy, but it's not that hard to find somebody who will give you 10, yeah. 12 goals yeah. up front in a, in a, in a decent side. Um but I, having said that, I really do hope that he fits. I really do hope there's a way of... He, he definitely needs somebody with him. He's not... like It was baffling. It wasn't all on him downing tools. I mean, some of the ways that Goodwin played him as like a 10 and was trying to get him to play out wide, you know, come deep to get the ball and things, just is not his game. No. It, but if... It, I would like him to be, partly because it's a solved problem and we've got enough problems this season uh going into next season for for recruitment but but also just because he is a he is the most instinctive striker i think we've had since adam running um he's not as good a player all around no. um he doesn't suit the system as much as that but like give him the ball in the box and i have got more confidence that he's going to score than anyone since him yeah absolutely i think um it'll be interesting to see what happens with the the Christian Ramirez saga as we move into the, the summer months. I think you're right. That was interesting. You picked up on it as well, Tom. I saw, I can't remember which game it was. It was either Ross County or it was Livingston at home. Ross County before the split or Livingston after the split. And if you look at Ramirez's like heat map and his average position on the pitch, and it's like, why is our, he was playing like almost like the deepest out of the front three. And it was just like, why is he there? Like he, he, he needs to be between the width of the goals, 12 or 15 yards from goal, that's where he needs to be. That's where he needs to do his work. And it's baffling. And I hope that we can find a way to, to make that work if, if he is if he is back here again um, in the summer. Gav, are you? I would propose that if there's any remote level of truth in how much he's paid mm. to play for Aberdeen, that money could be utilised for a significantly better player. At this level, um, and maybe I'm still um, feeling the energy from the from Graham's from Graham Hunter's passion of last week, but um, I think some of his performances in the wake of Glass leaving are simply unacceptable for an Aberdeen player. And there's a big part of it that simply just doesn't actually want him back. If I'm being brutally honest, 
it's a definitely fair argument. If if the if the rumored wages are, are are correct or even close to being correct, then you could pick up some pretty decent SPFL caliber players. Probably pick up a couple of them actually for that sort of wedge and probably do better than scoring what 12, 13 for the season. Can't remember exactly what his final total was. Ten in the league. Anyway, let's 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 move on from Christian Ramirez. Um, we we come out of that game against Hibs with a renewed sense of vigor. I think it's fair to say, but a trip to Ibrox on the Wednesday still had me had a little bit of fear. To be honest, they were top of the table at the time. They were looking to put on a show in the aftermath of the death of Walter Smith and the, the days leading up to the game. But it was Aberdeen who took the game to home side. Two goals to the good after just sixteen minutes. Goals from Ramirez, a fine Scott Brown diving header from a corner kick, followed up by probably my moment of the season: the shithouse celebrations. Lovely stuff. All looked right in the world for the Dons, who, you know, we were knocking the ball about well. We talked about Graham Hunter last week. We're showing no fear of the reigning champions, no fear about being in that atmosphere, given that the run of, you know, the run of form we'd been on going into that game. For me, that first 60, 70 minutes that we played at Ibrox is probably some of the best football I've seen an Aberdeen team play at either side of the old firm in, in my living memory. That game and that first... I mean, that that first 15, 20 minutes were all the things that when you, when Cormac initially said, when Dave Cormac initially said, this is what we want from Stephen Glass. We, we want somebody that's going to go to Glasgow with no fear. We're going to play them on their own game. We're going to like be in their faces and make them look. It was that. It, and they didn't know what had hit them. You know, it, it, like you say, there was... We hadn't been playing well. The Hibs game did may well have just been a one-off and a, and a fluke. There was an awful lot of emotion for uh, around Rangers and, and the um, and Walter Smith at, at the time. You know they they dropped Alan McGregor and Stephen Davis both because you know the the impact that they'd felt didn't feel ready to play because of it. So there was a this like you know do it for Walter thing, and they got absolutely battered. And we got this. We also got. For the whole of that first half, I think we got the Scott Brown that you hoped you'd get. You know, you got the guy who is aggressive and in people's faces and is like, like I am a complete pantomime villain and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. You know, I, I, he helped the players round about them kind of puff out their chests um, and, you know, were, were much better players. Um, were much better players for it. I, I think, yeah, it, it was. And there were a whole bunch of good performers. Like it, Dylan McGee had a good game. Um, Ryan Hedges had a really good game. Yeah. Dean Campbell played left back, had a great game. Yeah. And again, the 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 defence looked solid, and we were playing out from the back and we were playing with with quite a lot of confidence. Um, there was so much to like about it. Yeah, I remember going into the game, even though we'd beaten Hibs, still Rangers were in good shape. I think they were ahead of the top of the league by quite a distance at that point um everything kind of set up as you say with the the timing of it and the emotion of it from from their perspective them to go and put a real show against us i seem to recall our team was pretty decimated yeah with, with injuries like, and yeah, yeah. covid like obviously ramsey i think mckenzie missed yeah speculation about scott brown like what actually did he go off with um getting my times mixed up there again the other time he played a team in green and white um, it was Celtic cramps. The Celtic cramps. Like Marley, <laughs> was Marley Watkins available? I think, yeah, it was reason to think we were going in a team with a, a makeshift team. I think we ended up putting out quite a competitive experience side in the end of it. But you're still thinking that, you know, it's 
going to be a really hard shift here. And then, yeah, as you say, we, I mean, it was a perfect start. And yeah, it all, all looked good. David Bates looked really good that night as well, from what I recall. Yeah, we did. Well, I mean, we had like Ojo at right back and he, he started the game a little bit shaky. I think Bassey was kind of bullying him a little bit, but then he really came into the game. Dean Campbell started on the left, you know, um, I've talked about it enough times in this pod. I was like, I wonder actually if left back or in that sort of left wing back area is actually Dean Campbell's real position all of a sudden. Um, it's really played best for for Kilmarnock, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, was in left wing back. I I wonder if that's actually where his position actually lies. He's he's maybe not a centre midfielder at, at at top flight level. I think when Dean was grown up, I think Dean was a, I think he was more further advanced in his physical stature, etc. Than a lot of kids he was playing against at the time. And if you're in that sort of, you know, it's easy. To, I'm saying it's easy. It's easier to look a good player overrunning a midfield if you're physically stronger than them and physically bigger than them. I don't think there's any doubt about Dean Campbell's ability with the ball at his, at his feet. I think from a technical perspective, he's 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 a good player. It's it's more around just where he slots into a side. And I'll be interested to see what happens with Dean Campbell this summer, whether Goodwin gets eyes on him once he comes back, obviously from his own from Kilmarnock and views him as being a useful guy to have around the squad because he can maybe play a number of different positions. Anyway. It's digressing a little bit into a different conversation. I can see Gavin just rubbing his hands, like wanting to just jump in here, and I'm not going to give you the opportunity to I'm, do it. I, I mean, all I mean, I don't know if this covers this section. But all I can remember about Dean Campbell left back is um, Bevis Mugabe running past him time and time again, like he wasn't even there. And thinking <laughs> probably not a left back, but uh, yeah. I digress. I can't, I can't see Dean Campbell being a Jim Goodwin player personally. Possibly not. I think any performance by us against Motherwell this season needs to almost be just like eradicated from memory. <laughs> Motherwell seem to turn oh, into no. like prime. Oh, no. That's 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 seared in right here. Motherwell seem to turn into like prime, like early nineties AC Milan whenever they turn up against us. Like Kevin Van Veen turns into Marco Van Basten. He's he's dog shit for the rest of the season, but the four times he plays against us, he's you know he's on it anyway. Hybrid, a hybrid of all things Dutch. All things Dutch. All good things Dutch. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, More Van der Storoy, less Dyron Dal. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's typical, isn't it? We, we go two goals up after 60 minutes. We concede a really, really sloppy goal to Morelos out on 20 minutes. But we, we settled ourselves down. We looked good for the remainder of the game. 81 minutes. Um, John Beaton decides he's going to take centre stage. Um, provides the home side with a penalty kick for, I don't know, how do we describe it? I think I'm just going to insert the audio from Graham Hunter suggesting that John Beaton took a bung. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Tavernier slots home as penalty. That's why you put James Tavernier in your fantasy football Scotland team. Um, unless you're a good guy and you don't put any of them in, obviously. <laughs> we have to settle for a point. Um, but which is which is heartbreaking at times. So I thought our performance that night deserved, I thought we deserved to take the three, but realistically, after the form we've been in, four points out of that six was a, a decent, decent return, wasn't it? Going into the game, I remember the preview ourselves, me, Gary, Graham, um, talking about our expectation or our hope was to simply be competitive. And we're coming away from the game disappointed to have not won. So it was a, yeah, I mean, when you're robbed of three points in that way, it's obviously, you know, makes you angry and irritable. But when you took a step back and realized where we'd come from, um, you could see the real positives. Yeah, and I think off the back of, like you say, it was... The manner of the the manner of their equaliser, and I I don't even know how you describe it. It just even watching multiple replays, you can't even see what he's tried to give it for, let alone what what he's seen. But um, there was a feeling after the Hibs game and this that 
right, there is a solid base. They're like, it had all gone to shit and words had been had and something's fixed and this back three is the way to go. And we've got, you know, we're taking points from these games when the more winnable ones in your head come along, then we'll start picking up points. Absolutely. It was evidence of like, I remember Tom being on the show and we were talking about the strength of the squad and here we all are talking about how we've got a really good set of players here. That was the <laughs> evening where you think to yourself like, yeah, that we is do. in fact yeah. the case. It is, we've got experience, we've got international quality, we've got some, we've got a really good foundation <laughs> to go about having, at this point, like a successful season still, you know, it wasn't completely out of reach because I think the early signs of the glob were starting to sort of form around this time and, you know, you could tell that there was no real exceptional teams within the league. Absolutely. What I quite enjoyed as well was um, Graham. I think Graham in his interview with Dave Cormack, David let's slip about that, that after that performance at Ibrox from John Beaton, that I think the Referees Association had sent up a Boutros Galley to come and do some peacemaking with us. And um, they'd, they'd been giving it the whole, oh, if far had been in, like, they wouldn't have given that decision. And all I can say for that is anyone who watched the Champions League final last night will see that VAR is vastly fucking overrated because it turns out nobody knows what the fuck's going on at any given time. <laughs> or if you watch the championship playoff, yeah. there were two two very, very good penalty shouts that looked absolutely like penalties, one of which didn't go to VAR and one of which was not given on VAR. I can't understand either of those two. I can't understand how the, the Max Lowe one didn't go to VAR. No, and another one. It's like ooh, the, that. That looks to me like a penalty kick, but it doesn't help if the VAR studio is located in like the Loudon Arms, does it? <laughs> like, and it, it, it's not like we're gonna. We could easily go down the VAR rabbit hole, but in we go. Let's go. Um, it doesn't. If the whole point of it was to make things less contentious, take pressure off referees, and make people concentrate on what's good about football, then it's this fucked from the start. Because all it is is like, oh, well, it was given by VAR. It was, uh, would, should that one have gone to VAR? Did, did VAR get it right? Like, like you say, the Champions League one, nobody had any clue what that was actually disallowed for. There were three or four phases of play where it could have been something. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's daft. And there is no... And normally when it goes to VAR, it's because they've been flagged for something. So I have very little faith whatsoever that next season... Like, And I, I mean, we've had a disastrous season this season and over the course of many seasons, you know, over the course of four or five seasons, I'm sure these things do even themselves out. Even with a shitty season this, this year, we did get some horrendously oh, bad nice. luck with refereeing, refereeing decisions. Do I have tons of faith that with VAR in place, those would be overturned? Nah. I'm probably, every chance I'm misremembering this, and it could be another instance of horrendous refereeing, but I seem to recall watching replays and seeing that John Beaton, there's no way he could have actually seen the incident. No. I'm sure his view is completely <laughs> blocked off and he has guessed or been swayed by his fellow Ibrox season ticket holders. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, he probably had the loud in just in his earpiece, just be that that's a penalty, John. I just want to say, though, simply for the benefit of any BT executives that might be listening, if they didn't see my tweet, I am prepared to do Peter Walton's job of simply <laughs> agreeing with whatever VAR says, and I, and I will do it for £10 less than what he charges. <laughs> that one last night, I just my favorite as well was the the idea about it can only be he can't be offside if, if the Liverpool player has intentionally played it to him, and you're like. 
At which point is a Liverpool player intensely passing a ball to Benzema <laughs> six yards out from goal with an open net in front of him? Just out of fucking interest, guys. <laughs> and also Liverpool had four opportunities to clear the ball by the time it got there. Like, what the fuck's going on? This is this is mad. I can't wait for that happening at Tottenham next season. And everybody's standing, uh, uh, I don't know, a midweek February game in the pissing cold, wondering what the fuck crackpot decision our referees are trying to come up with. And you're standing about for like 10 minutes trying to figure it out, what's going on. And then, of course, in the ground, you're not going to be told what's going on, are you? You're just going to suddenly see them go. <laughs> you know, all right, there we go. I mean, we, we will come on to it in a couple of games, but the most, probably the most ludicrous red card oh. that an Aberdeen player has ever been given, ever, was given the season. And it was, but you know, the referee saw it fine. Do I have faith that if if there was VAR, that wouldn't happen? No, of course it's still going to happen. I think that decision that Ibrox gets given with VAR. I, I think they find uh, enough of a reason to say, I see a little, I, I see some movement in there. It's a penalty. I think game. if you go, the problem is if you go looking for it. You'll find it. In a, in like a, in a packed penalty box. And like, if you get something with, and they, they've basically proved that. Like any time it does go to VAR, I would, I don't have numbers to it, but I would guess nine times out of ten, mm-hmm. the decision goes with whatever it is that's been flagged, if it's a red card or a penalty or whatever. I think if you start going, yeah, I think we, we probably need to have a look at this. The moment I'd lost faith in VAR entirely was the Euros when Sterling won the penalty against Denmark. Yeah. And I went to VAR <laughs> and anyone with a functioning set of eyes could see that he dived. Clearly. But they stuck with the on-field decision, and the reasoning was that well, the referee thought he'd been tripped, and there was enough reason to believe as the referee that he'd been tripped. And it's like, if that's the case, then actually, what, what is, is the, the point? point? <laughs> and we may as well just revert back to you know what does James Tavernier think has happened? Yes, penalty to Rangers. Good times. I can't wait for it to come in halfway through next season. It's going to be <laughs> going to be amazing. Um, anyway, let's let's move on from the VAR rabbit hole. I would like I would just like to clarify we have entirely deserved what's happened to us this season, but we have been on the receiving end of an obscene number of just horrendous, <laughs> horrendous decisions. And I can't think of anything off the top of my head where we've like been the recipient of good luck. The t- Teddy Jenks' winner at St. Johnston is the only the only one that I can think of. That is a fair point, yes. But that's the only one I can think of. We'll come on to Teddy Jenks uh, shortly. But anyway, the following Saturday saw the visit of an unbeaten Hart and Lothian side. That's right, this Hearts team were still unbeaten by this point. Sitting in second spot, looking to put more pressure on Sevco at the top of the table after they dropped points in, in midweek to ourselves. And we looked bright in the opening stages of this one again. Much the first half, we were clearly full of confidence after the previous two games before Kevin Clancy awarded the visitors a penalty right on half time after Joe Lewis appended Ginelli. I don't think I've got too many complaints about this penalty, actually. I think this was a... It was a penalty. Yeah. yeah. Um, John Suter scored from the spot, um, which threatened to derail our recovery. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But credit where it's due, because this is where I actually thought, here we go. This is a little bit of adversity for us to come back back from. Um, But we came out of that second half flying. We we moved back to a a back four at that point, after having played a, a three in the first half. Marley Watkins got his first goal on his return, a, a really good half volley at the top corner before probably moment number two of the season for me, that shithouse corner um, from McGeoch. Lewis Ferguson, courtesy of some fine 
fine blocking between Messrs Brown and Hedges. Lewis Ferguson met it, flashed his header past Craig Gordon, it gave us the win. Andy Halliday also lost his shit, went over the top of the ball on Lewis Ferguson, which presumably meant an awkward conversation in the Open Goal Studios on Monday morning. Straight red card, much to the delight of the home support. And that supposed week of death saw us end it in fifth spot, seven <laughs> points from nine. Things were all looking up again, weren't they? It had completely changed. I mean, I think it was like fragile. It was fragile confidence, but hearts have been flying. We go, go, we go, go down. Um, but we absolutely battered them in the second half. And, you know, got got, got like Craig Gordon makes an unbelievably good save uh, in that game as well. And it felt at that point like, yeah, Hearts might be whatever they were. I think there must have been, what, six, eight, eight points ahead of us or something like that going in. Um, but it felt like at that point, after this game, it was only a matter of time before having got these three out of the way um, and with a, the more winnable fixtures coming in, we're going we're gonna to start closing that gap. There was a lot of good football. There was, I mean, the, the, the one thing I think from this season that was joked about a bit uh, was that uh, Alan Russell's set pieces, uh, you know, he's coming in as this sort of like attack, attacking set pieces guru. And actually I think he was um, of the coaching staff that, that, that came in. I think our, we were quite inventive at set pieces and we were dangerous at set pieces for the first half of the season um, and, and did try some interesting things I don't know what the stats are, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if we got a higher percentage of our goals from set pieces than in most teams in the league. Um, but yeah, it, it, it felt within the space of a week like, okay, I'm glad they didn't pull the trigger. You know, everyone's everyone's justified. Um, and I think it must have been around, it must have been around, maybe it, was, it must have been just after this game that I did, came on for the second time and it felt a little bit more positive. I find myself measuring our success and our standards against hearts almost an inordinate degree. But that was, it was the third game in that sequence where I felt we were tested in different ways each time. And like Hibbs was controlled and it was measured and it was calm. And we really just managed the game well. Rangers, we went to Ibrox and Glasgow and showed that we were prepared to stick, like have faith in the philosophy of where we were going to play. And like, because there's like, there's instances of like some really great triangles being played in like, you know, our corner flags and just showing that we weren't going to play that game with any fear. Hearts, you know, everyone knows what hearts are like. And Nielsen is, you know, a disciple of Craig Levine. Like I've quoted that in the past. He's like, just take a Craig Levine team. They're going to be stuffy, niggly, really hard to play against. When they get, when they go a goal up, you just know they're going to be physical. They're going to just try and like time waste, you know, just bring the game down to, to their level and we stuck with what we wanted to do it was very similar to a game under Derek McInnes when I think Hearts came back up um, and we beat them 3-2 or I think they put like in stunk I think they like invested a ton of money in the summer and like brought like some Naismith in on a permanent deal and like they went 2-1 up and then we just kept going we kept going we refused to be dragged down to their level and we got our rewards for it um, I think as Tom says the set pieces and those those sequences were pretty incredible. And I think something we missed a trick on was we kept faith with Ramsey for so long. Ramsey's deliveries are generally pretty good. But one of the issues I always had was like, you've got a guy here who is, I think, physically struggling with the demands of Scottish football, senior football. 
and we're telling him to like, okay, you're going to hit the corner on the left wing, and then you're going to go all the way to the other side of the pitch for your position, and you do this like all game. Whereas Dylan McGeeck had a lot of great ability from set pieces, and I think those those corner kicks they don't happen without the the quality of his delivery. And yeah, um, we were starting to see the fruits of Alan Russell's work um i don't know if you guys saw the alan russell article oh, i think on his website which does tend to imply a lack of um self-awareness that i would <laughs> without knowing anything about alan russell associate with him um uh, but yeah we were getting getting some benefits there not to the degree i think that he has stated but um <laughs> i digress yeah on the alan russell thing i think this is, there was a, a nice little easter egg just in graham hunter's comments last week about alan russell which um you can find if you go back and listen to it that says all oh, you need to need to know about um Alan Russell. But yeah, that that column this week was um interesting. Let's put it that way. But hey, there we go. Glossed over some things. It, it certainly that. did. Into November though, and it's the visit of fucking Motherwell to Petodre. Pretty good first half performance from us with nothing to show. And then two quick goals from the visitors through our season-long nemesis, Kevin fucking Van Veen. All of a sudden, the same issues were right back to the four, lots of possession, but in the main, slow, ponderous, little clear-cut chances created. It's a 2-0 home defeat. And it just feels like the kind of, I don't know, it just felt to me like the, the, the train had come off the tracks again a little bit after that one. Yeah, yeah, Kevin Van Persie. Um, Gary, you weren't there that game. Mm-hmm. I seem to recall, but Graham and I were there, and we, we felt on the base of the first half, we didn't create any clear-cut chances off the top of my head, but the thinking was that if we just carry on yeah. we're going to eventually you know break through and we'll set up a chance for Ramirez or, or Watkins or whoever it might be um second half was as bad as it's been all season in my book um all the worst traits of glass ball um slow ponderous and attack and so so weak in defense it's borderline criminal um these are the kind of games I look back on with retrospect I think the people that are saying that it was worse at the end of the season. I mean, I'm sorry, but it just wasn't. That was turgid, turgid stuff. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, I, th- I don't think this felt like it felt instantly like all right, back. You know that that's the end of that. It just felt like a, an, an opportunity mm-hmm. missed, um, and there was there was a lot of positives in that first half. And Liam Kelly again had a, a, an unbelievably good game. I had a couple of he did fantastic yeah. saves from. And um, Lewis Ferguson, I think, from Marley Watkins as well, like right on the goal line, basically, yeah, right, right on the goal line, um, like a double save as well, uh, and yeah, but the the second half it all fell apart, and we were fragile and didn't know what that like, didn't didn't start well, lost the goal, and the moment that we lost the goal, it felt like all the confidence went and the the concentration went and there wasn't any like look if we just keep doing what we're doing we'll get back to it it, it completely agree that the the problem the the problem with the, the biggest problem with glass in almost all of the games was the feeling that we were never in control all it'll take like there there is a mistake in this there is always at least one mistake in this and that was never you know that was never completely ironed out at the end of the season completely but there was some signs that we could be stuffy and boring enough to just sit on things um and motherwell were always very good at being the the willing recipients of that i seem to recall that day as well i i feel that 
Muddle almost laid out a blueprint that afternoon for how to beat us. Like they were niggly and just difficult all over the pitch, physical in our faces. We didn't really stand up to them that much. Referee wasn't strong enough to deal with it. I think if I recall, was not Lamy could have been Lamy could have probably been sent off in the first half. I think he was very very lucky to get out of the first half without two bookings. Oh, their left fullback. Yeah, I can't remember, I can't remember what his name is, but uh, anyway, yeah. McGinley. It was Lamy McGinley. One of the two was very very fortunate to get away with with, with without leaving the pitch um, with two bookings, and it just felt like at that point. That was almost a, a game plan right there for most teams about how you decide to want to play against us. And, and this almost ties back into what we almost saw for the season and that teams who wanted to open up or play football against us or felt that they could match up to us from a football perspective, we seemed to do quite well against. But teams who came and made it difficult and got you in a battle, we struggled with all season long. And, and that didn't go away. It was disappointing because off the back of the Hearts game, especially, I felt that showed a character to come back in the face of adversity. And then Motherwell's just the complete opposite. You know, they think, I think they scored their two goals in very quick time. And we just yeah. never showed any willingness to fight. And it, again, it was a game where Stephen Glass didn't do anything to change things. I think he made like-for-like like subs and nothing came of it. And I think the blueprint for how to play against us had already been set. But this probably just like further enhanced the hypothesis that the way to play against us would just be stuffy and just wait for them to shoot themselves in the foot because they will do it eventually. And I think at, at that point, Motherwell had like a real injury crisis. It might have even been like players that were out with COVID. There was, there was, they had a real, but the, what they had, it was almost like they had engineered a team of, that were very, very good for, for playing against us. They, you know, the front three, Defended, got back in numbers and defended. Um, Goss was putting balls over the top. Like mm -hmm. he just watched a handful of our games from earlier in the season and thought, you know, th th there's not a huge amount to his game, but he's good at set pieces and he's good at putting in a, a, a ball in behind. And they were dogged in midfield. And, and it was like they had been told, you know, let Aberdeen have the ball. They'll play some pretty stuff. They got lucky. Liam Kelly made a couple of really good saves. We should have been ahead at halftime. But at, at, for as long as they needed to, to hang in it, they knew that that mistake was coming, and it did. It came, and then came again seven minutes later. Absolutely. A couple of weeks off, though, before our first visit of the season to Tanadice. And, um, well, what is there to say about this one? Um, oh, is that your carry-out being brought in, Gav? That's, that's at, carry -out, yeah. timing for this one. <laughs> one glass of Rioka is simply not enough. Um, David Bates, Lewis Ferguson missing out, which meant we lined up with a back four containing Ross McCrory, Scott Brown, Jack McKenzie, and Jack fucking Gurr making his first appearance back in the side since the debacle at Kirkcaldy. Speaking of which, I think Jack Gurr's dad decided yesterday to get involved with us on Twitter, um, which was a little bit of a curveball. He was he was he was wishing Matty Longstaff luck. Mm. Bit of an old one, but Teddy Gurr, if you listen to us, um, give us a shout out, mate. Um, we don't try to be mean about your son, but he just wasn't very good. Um, a comfortable enough first half performance from the away side before it all went a bit fucking mental. Callum Butcher picking up a straight red card after giving Christian Ramirez a dig in the balls. And then Bobby Madden just lost the plot completely, issuing Funzo King Ojo with a second yellow card after being shoved in the chest by a United fan after he overran the ball 
and hurdled the hoardings to try and retrieve it. Unbelievable scenes. Worst to come, Peter Pollitt avoided any sort of action after siding down Jack McKenzie right on halftime, which meant the, fo- the halftime introduction of uh, Johnny Hayes for Jack McKenzie, which meant Dean Campbell filled in at left back. Jack Gurr was then forced off the pitch after 70 minutes, which meant we had a centre-back pairing for 20 minutes of Scott Brown and Dean Campbell, which, I'll be honest with you, I was giving you long odds for that 12 months ago. That's something I would have seen this season, but it was. And then United snatched all three points with their only shot on target in the game. That's a common theme as well this season, to be fair. A corner played in, defended poorly, met by Harks, and as the strains of real American and blasted around Tanadice, <laughs> the Dons were facing a second consecutive defeat in the league. Stephen Glass didn't really cover himself in glory either with his post-match comments about the Ojo incident, it's fair to say. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is the most infuriating game of the season. There were, there were, there were more depressing ones there were more like there were some that needed to search your soul a little bit more but this was the most infuriating one because for the fact we, we played really well in the first half but like the mother game played really really well without scoring but we're 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 very confident Dundee United were down to 10 at the point they were down to 10 it felt like right it is inevitable that we are we're going to score at some yeah. point and they they don't have anything they they hadn't they, they barely laid their glove on us the Ojo red card is one of the worst decisions of in Scottish football in the last twenty years. It's like it's baffling what he could have done to have. Like, there has to be at some point a way that for a red card at any point to be justified, there's got to be a way for the player to have avoided getting that red card. Yeah. Like there's there's. If there's no way of him avoiding getting the red card, then you know there's a, obviously a serious flaw in in it all, um, and that levelled up, and that basically meant that it looked like it was going to peter out to nil nil, and Dundee United, it was a good goal, but we gave them a customary chance that that was kind of a trademark for this season. But Glass's comments afterwards, rather than the, the entire fan base is raging. The world over, there is like Twitter accounts, you know, there was Twitter accounts in Spanish and Portuguese going, look at this ridiculousness that happened in Scotland. And rather than coming out with like justified righteous indignation, like, you know what, haul me over the coals. If you want to bring, if you want to ban me, give me a touchline ban for this, go for it. Because that is corruption. That is the worst form of, I mean, use words like that. That's the most irresponsible, idiotic, bit of refereeing that we've seen in a very long time. I can't believe look, that has cost us the game. Pin it on him and put the pressure on him. But he didn't. He said, you know, by the letter of the law, it's a red card. And, under, you know, he's let his teammates down. And he hadn't. Like, I, I am not a, I'm not a Fonzojo fan. I, I think the early season renaissance was maybe one really good drag back and two surprising games on the wing. Um, and that was it. But, but I really felt for him because yeah. like he, he had, he did nothing wrong at all. He got thrown under the bus and he needed a bit of support there. I think. I entirely agree. Um, I said it at the time that Stephen Glass let Funzo Ojo down with his comments. And I think he doubled down on them effectively um, in his post-match Aberdeen um, comment. I think he tried to retract it to some degree, but still 
implied that Fonzo could have done more to avoid it. And uh, that was unex- that was simply a, an unacceptable level from an Aberdeen manager. I completely agree. Um, do what Bobby Madden almost wants us to do and make him the star of the show, but not just on the pitch. Just meh. Take him to the cleaners and... He let us, he, yeah, Glass let Fonzo go down that day. And we've heard all the chat about how he was well liked in the changing room and blah, blah, blah. And I think there's possible speculation as to why that is. That isn't necessarily positive. But that day, I think he, if Ojo did feel let down, he had every right to. Um, as it goes on that game, you know, it, it was the Bobby Madden show. It yeah. was looking like it was going to be a normal draw. Like we didn't create anything, they didn't create anything. And then, of course, it was a freak, a corner kick, I think. And yeah. it goes through, the ball bounces through a box somehow. And Dean Campbell lets Harks go and it's a, into an empty net. And yeah, it's a very typical feeling. But yeah, it was that day. Just a real bad day for Aberdeen all round. Um, and I think, yeah, Glass, hopefully we'll look back at it and think that he could have handled that or should have handled that a lot better. Absolutely. With injuries mounting, um, next up was the daunting task of a visit to Celtic Park to face a Celtic side who were beginning to click into gear. Jack Gurr retained his place in the starting lineup, which tells you exactly where we were at at this moment in time. Um, it's worth mentioning, Jack was okay at Tannadice. He did okay. He did all right at Tannadice. It wasn't great, but he was okay. He was a lot better than I was expecting. It was also a game I remember because Ross McCrory went right back when he went off. Yeah, he did, yeah. And you then started to see Ross's quality in terms of his engine and his power to run with the ball, and you start to think to yourself, uh, we might be missing a trick here, playing him at centre-back. Yeah, yeah, I remember that as well. Um, Jota with a goal in 20 minutes kind of set the scene for what I think a lot of us were maybe expecting might be a bit of a long afternoon before we get a penalty award after David Bates takes a tumble in the box. <laughs> I was just going to say, was that Jota goal not eerily similar of Zanata's goal at Kirkcaldy earlier in the season? Um, it's fair to say that Jack Gurr was maybe sleeping. Uh, David Bates buys us a penalty kick, which I'm astonished we get awarded. Um, but fuck it, we'll take it, obviously. I don't know if that was the, the, the SFA trying to offer us, offer us up some sort of recompense for what happened the week before. I don't know, but we'll take it. Lewis Ferguson dispatches it. We go in at halftime 1-1 before the home side end up with what is effectively the flukiest goal I've seen all season after Joe Lewis saves from uh, Lula Bada. Johnny Hayes, I, I don't know what Johnny Hayes is trying to do here. He tries to smash the ball at the park, but he could have taken about three or four touches and just played it out. In the end, he smashed it straight against Cal McGregor. Ball hits off his chest, rolls into an empty net. Scott Brown departs the scene again with, against his former club with those Celtic cramps. He's probably getting them looked at, but I think. And that was it, despite the fact we had some decent possession again second half. We couldn't get an equaliser. Three defeats in a row. Off the back of the... Motherwell and United defeats. I again remember just thinking, let's go down there and be competitive. And I think we were. It was a very fortuitous penalty that we were awarded. Bates has definitely um, won it. And, you know, Hayes, he could have done better, but at the end, he's just trying to shell it as far away from the goal as possible. And it hits off McGregor. 1900, it just goes well clear. Yeah, it wasn't a game that it was disappointed to lose. I was always disappointed to lose, but it wasn't a game I was thinking too much of, um, apart from Scott Brown's um, departure. To the uh, to the jungle, yeah. Conveniently, Celtic were clicking at that point. I think you you go and hope, but I think it, it wasn't one that we like penciled in for guaranteed three points or anything like that. After the the previous two disappointments, you just want to make sure that there, there was a bit of a bit of momentum. None of the momentum that had been gained from the Hibs Hearts and the Rangers game had 
would get lost with like a real energy sap and defeat. But it was competitive, and and like you said, the teams that played football this season, we've at the very least been competitive against. Um, we're we're unlucky not to get a point, but it wasn't the it was not where the season fell apart. Oh, absolutely, no time to dwell on things. A midweek visit of Livingston to the home of football opened up the month of December in the advent of Storm Irwin, a cold, sleety night at Pataudry against the West Lothian side. Hardly seemed appealing to most. This is borne out by the fact the attendance was a mere 6,000 hardy souls, um, including Noel Blaha, I think, bless him, coming all the way across from the US with his kids, and they ended up with the Livingston and St Mirren games to show for it in the absolute bitterly, bitterly cold North Sea whipping up around Pataudry. We start off, though, this critical month with a bang. Jet, remember him? Comes back into the starting lineup, And his inclusion for this one paid off pretty early doors. He held the ball up well from a defensive clearance, passed it into Christian Munoz, who put Ryan Hedges in open the scoring. We eventually double our uh, lead on 75 minutes. Johnny Hayes' free kick. Knocked home by David Bates, secured all three points. If nothing else, it felt like one of those very, touched on earlier on, a very typical Derek McInnes, era-esque performance against a team lower in the league you'd expect. A very comfortable 2-0 win. Not much else to say about it. It's the sort of game that you want over the... More of those in the league is what gets you... Like It it was measured. If we'd had to score again, we probably would have. Um, They went down to 10 men. We we completely controlled it. It It wasn't the most flashy, fun game of the season you know even conditions aside but we were very professional they didn't know what to do against Jet Ryan Hedges had a really good game um, yeah take the three points and move on and it feel feel, feel like we're getting a bit of momentum back it showcased the idea that we had a good group of players and we had on our day a better group of players than the teams in and around us um, I remember Hedges had a really good game David Bates was getting some confidence around that kind of time I remember him looking good um apart from the goal obviously which was a good finish as well from a center back and it jet's inclusion i feel i'd have to go back and listen to this but i feel we were calling almost for jet to get back in the team because we felt there was still something there in terms of what he could bring and the kind of attention he can draw based on his size and based on his ability to then create space and on that day that's exactly what happened um yeah unremarkable game um a very professional 2-0 win kind of thing you're hoping for against New Livingston and off the back of the difficulties we just had you're hoping then yeah that's uh, a sign of things to come definitely and prior to that Livingston game uh, we also saw Stephen Glass decide to pull no punches when he was asked about the lack of game time that Matty Longstaff was facing uh, when he stated that clearly Matty would have liked more game time clearly we'd have liked better performances <laughs> some grade A man management stuff right right there it's true, but it's not the greatest look for a manager to be pulling in a pre-match press conference. Um, once again, glasses. Um, honesty. Honesty. <laughs> it's choice of language, um, not entirely befitting of a manager, but... Um, not wrong, though. Not wrong. Just, not wrong, but yeah, no. it's, it's still not, um, it's still not uh, what you'd expect from your manager, I think. Next up, though, we saw Jim Goodwin. More on him later. His St. Mirren side visiting the Northeast. Um, they were swiftly dispatched with a 4-1 defeat. Doubles from Marley Watkins and Christian Ramirez. Seeing the visitors off, who sat eighth in the table at this point with only three wins 
to their name all campaign. The trio of Watkins, Jet, Ramirez appearing to click up top. And suddenly things were like, okay, like we've maybe found a formula again here to, to move on with. It felt like that. And it felt, I mean, this was probably the most, this was probably the most fluid and attack, definitely the, the, the point the attack clicked the, the best in the entire season. I mean, it was the most fluid bit where, and it it felt a bit like the, the Motherwell game when we dominated and not scored, the Dundee United game when we dominated and not scored. If those were building to something like this, then yeah, maybe there's something something in it. Um, you know, completely blew something in the way early on. We do give away our our now traditional sloppy goal, but immediately go up the, the park and score again and just are out of sight. Yeah. And you know, they were they were they were really lucky to get away with only yeah, they were uh, only the four. Like there were there were numerous other chances we could have um we could have buried and I think at that point Jet was Jet was brilliant in that game I think like they didn't they didn't know what to do with him they didn't know what to do with Watkins um, Terry Jenks came in and for the last wee bit was really effective as well it it, it was it was very attacking I mean it was the, like even the back the back four was what Ojo McCrory Bates and Hayes yeah. so it was like deal with deal with this um, and Smirin didn't. And at that point, I think it felt like, right, momentum sorted. We're going to be doing this now for the rest of the season. We're on, we're back into the top six. Um, we're not, you know, we're only five or six points off, off third. We've got a run of games that we can win now. Then keep, keep doing this. Yeah, and we'll be laughing. Commented with Ali Beck. I think this is maybe, maybe our best performance of the league all season. Yeah, quite possibly. And as Tom says, like Jet was really good, and he was like showing what he would bring. I mean, he's not going to bring anything in terms of work rate or defensive mouse, but um, he's going to bring you some, that X factor in attack. You know, Watkins was back, and like he seemed like it seemed like Watkins was now fit. Hedges was playing well. Ramirez is getting still scoring goals. You did get that impression that we're going to now show what we're, what we're all about. And yeah, it was a really good game and some really good goals scored as well. Yeah, instinctive goals again from like Christian Ramirez. Um, Jet was showing, I think, what we would expect from Jet. He was playing kind of off the wide right, as I recall, um, kind of peeling off onto the left back all the time, didn't know what to do with him. McCrory and Bates looked like they were kind of developing a decent partnership at the back as well. It suddenly looked as though everything was kind of starting to just eke in that direction of, okay, we're, we've got over that kind of rough little patch there of three defeats in a row and we're kind of starting to build again. And then we followed it up with what is only our second away win of the season at St. Johnston. In fact, is this our last away win of the season? Yes, it is. It is our last away win of the season at St. Johnston. A fairly drab affair. It's fair to say it was highlighted only for me by the stake and streets of Pirate McDermott Park. Lovely stuff. Um, we kind of dominated the Jet first half was 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 really good, but we just didn't really create any proper clear-cut chances, I think. And then we 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 settle on a, a massive, massive slice of luck. Um the only slice of luck we get really all season, um, certainly from a refereeing perspective, where Teddy Jenks goes all Harlem Globetrotter, controls a loose ball with his hand, does a couple of dribbles with it, fakes it back on his left-hand side. Last is a fine finish past Xander Clark. In fairness to Xander Clark, he was like screaming for a free <laughs> kick for most of it. <laughs> but before you know it, we march on three wins from three in December. We're back into the top six and you're starting to believe once again. That again, it's a different kind of props a different kind of win 
McDermott Park. I know we've had like a pretty great record at McDermott Park since, especially since McInnes became our manager. But you always still associate with being a difficult away day. And that day, yeah, we just, we went down there, stood up to the challenge, and then yeah, we 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 get our slice of luck certainly. But at the end of the day, to be where we want to be, you have to do that, and you have to go down there and get those wins. And yeah, we I don't I don't recall us like creating like giving away much in the way of chances to St. St. Johnston, um, who were pretty impotent at that time yeah. as well. Anyway, just you no know, regards to playing us. It did seem again like a a game where there were things to look at and think, right, we are now going in the right direction. And as you say, Bates and McCrory were setting a really good partnership at the back. Yeah. We started to see the, the David Bates we were hoping we we're gonna see. And yeah, the only way was up at that point. Yeah, there, there, there was a lot more fluidity, and there was a, there was a depth of squad. Um, like it was a like Johnny Hayes was really good that day. Um, um, obviously Teddy Jenks comes in, and after it felt a little bit like we we weren't sure if we were going to see him again after getting sent off at at, at St Mirren. Um, but yeah, he came in, and there was there were options on the bench. There was. We, there was momentum and there was options and we were kind of breathing down the necks of the teams, um, the, the, the teams above us, the run of fixtures that we had as well, that you thought, you know, Hibs had not been playing particularly well. They were up next. And then we had Dundee before the, the, the um, before the break, when both of those were probably within touching distance of, of third. Yeah, absolutely. We would have been. And, and you just touched on the, the, the trip to McDermott Parks followed up by a visit to, the capital to face a Hibs side. It's that this was Sean Maloney's first match in charge of Hibs, and again, it's kind of typical. It was a fairly nothing first half, nothing really to write home about. The game burst into life just a couple minutes in the second half, where Ryan Porteous somehow hoofs Christian Ramirez in the gonads. Something about the Americans balls that people in the Scottish Premier League <laughs> like. I don't know what it is. Alan Muir sees nothing, despite the fact that he's looking right at it. And our sense of injustice is heightened later as is Hibbs's version of Xander Diamond, who rose unchallenged at a corner just after the hour mark to head home what would prove to be the only goal of the game. And just again, that that, that run of three games, that momentum just comes to a, a grinding halt all of a sudden. It's worth mentioning as well, that was um, Sean Maloney's managerial debut for Hibbs when he pitched up wearing his dad's clothes for the first time. <laughs> Decided not to mention that to Graham Hunter last week. He seemed very impassioned about Sean Maloney, but uh, anyway. Um, yeah, I get disappointing that Hibs were in a really bad state at that time, I felt. I think we were definitely there to be got at, and we just didn't bring the game to them at all, and an inevitable sense of what would happen. And of course, Ryan Porteous gets a winner, because of course he does. I take it from your continued like use of Xander Diamond in capacity. We're not getting him on the show anytime soon. I don't think so. Ain't happening. Okay, fair, I'd fair be enough. very surprised. Fair enough. Um, as if these boys listen to this anyway. Like, you know, <laughs> like yeah. we'll get him on and be like Xander, great defender. As well, I think Hibs had Hibs not been in the League Cup final the weekend before this. That sounds familiar. Yeah, because David Gray took that before Maloney came in. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, it's one of those games you look at. It's almost like perfect storm. They've they've had a a difficult defeat in a cup final, you know, energy sapping, etc. the emotions of a cup final, etc. you know, get after them. We're in good form. And it just was a real bleh performance from us once again. There's a, there's, I think of all of them, this is like a, the sliding doors mm-hmm. moment. Like, I don't think it, it would have turned Stephen Glass into a you know world-class manager. And I think um, 
what what followed would have still been problematic. But when this one, when the Dundee game, I mean, you saw how the the glob developed, and ultimately, even being, you know, they, they were going into last last game uh, of the split, and there were three sides who could all make the top six, who had I think three wins in twenty twenty two between them. Yeah. Like when when this game and we would have at least made the top six, and then you win one of those games and you're in Europe. It's not a successful season, but this was the one when Hibs were at a low ebb. Our confidence was high. We were playing good football. You know, not to point fingers at referees, but if Portis gets sent off, our season looks very different. If um, Mar- um, Marley Watkins had a really good chance, should have scored. That's right. Yeah. If if he scores, then the season looks very different. It doesn't fix all the other problems, but I think this one and the Dundee game going into like we we still kind of ended the year with a bit of momentum, but we would have been we would have like we'd have finished the 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 year on thirty points, which is you probably only need another twelve. Well, ultimately, I think what, what did mean forty two was the the cutoff for the top six this season. So yeah, it, it would have it would have changed it. Like it probably would have potentially saved Stephen Glass's job, so I'm not sure that that would have been the best outcome all round. But at, at the time, the relative positions of both sides, this was the one that got away. Absolutely. Concerns over the Omicron variant of COVID. Saw the winter break getting brought forward to fall just after the Boxing Day fixture at Pataudry against Dundee. Um, that This was played obviously in front of a restricted credit, just 500. It was critical at this point that we finished this first half of the season with a win, I think. Um, especially considering Dundee arrived heavily depleted due to COVID, um, but standard. Dundee took the lead after seven minutes. A, a pretty spectacular free kick from the reigning Scottish football village idiot champion Lee Griffiths. Had most of us, I think, who had to watch it at home because we couldn't be in the ground, kind of feeling the worst at this point. But fair play for you know we showed some character for one you know for one of the the very few occasions through the season. Um, Level things up just five minutes later. Some good build-up play between Teddy Jenks and Ryan Hedges before Hedges eventually finished. But again, lots of huffing and puffing from us, dominating possession, slow, ponderous, not really creating much in the way of chance the second half. But we finally get the winner on the 70th minute. A, a really good effort from Lewis Ferguson from the edge of the box, angled beyond the, the goalkeeper to secure the win. We finished up the month, go into the winter break, uh, sitting in sixth spot, beginning to look upwards though, December, Overall, a decent month, four wins from five. And I think at that point, I don't think I'd have been alone in feeling optimistic about what could happen after that winter break, maybe some new acquisitions in the January window, and we'd be surely aiming to consolidate that top six spot and then push for one of the European positions. I don't want to ruin the content of the January transfer window in this episode, so I'm going to ignore that point for the time being. I... I'm pretty sure none of us made it to that game on account of the 500 attendance. Yeah. Um, but I do recall watching it at home on Red TV, which shat the bed for the first 10 minutes. So we missed the Dundee goal, uh, which is an outrageous strike, by the way, and proof to me that there was no nothing Joe Lewis could do to win some people back because there are people going in on Joe Lewis saying that he was at fault for the goal. And it's like, what the fuck are you watching? <laughs> did you just see what happened? Yes, Lee Griffiths is a prick, but did you just see what happened there? Um, I do remember winning that game, but coming away from thinking 
that was not good against what were the worst team in the league and the worst team in the league's like second string team effectively. I thought it was a game we should have really like smashed them and like gave us something to really look forward to. And we were really insipid as well. It's a word we use a lot in the show for the to describe our performances, but it was just it was the it was a game where yeah, possession is all well and good, but if you don't do anything with it, then really what's the point? And we created very, very little. And I remember just thinking we were fortuitous to win the game against, as I say, the worst team in the league's reserve team. Considering that it was like all, all in a bit more positive, you know, like you say, we ended the month with four wins from five. I think this was the, it was almost before things started going wrong in January and February. This was a game where I thought, I, I just don't, I, I don't know how this is working. Um, there was a bit, there were a bit more positives. There were, we had started picking up points. We had, we'd had a couple of good performances. Um, but it was so hot and cold and this, and it was, it was turgid stuff. And we were really lucky not to concede in the very last minute when Dundee were absolutely dying on their arses. They were totally breathing at their arses. They had no subs. They had two goalkeepers on the bench. Did they not? I'm yeah. sure one of them had a, like an outfield kit prepared. Yeah. Like the, they, who was an I, assistant manager at the time? I can't remember. Oh, Dave Mackay. Dave Mackay. Oh Yeah. To- yeah, he'd been registered. He'd been like retired for like six years by that point. Yeah, yeah. I, and I'm giving myself far too much credit retrospectively by, by saying this was the point where I was like, no, 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 glass, glass is not going to work out. But there were a lot of alarm bells for a win that we just couldn't. You know, the 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 Hibs game had been disappointing, and even though we won, and I was relieved that we won, the manner of that game, the manner that that game was won, was just horrendous. That was good fun, wasn't it, boys? Yeah. <laughs> Got some things off my chest. Yeah. That, that brings us to the end of December. So, you Do know. we need to talk about this ever again? Can we now move on? You don't, Tom. You don't. <laughs> I feel like it needs to be tradition now, Tom, but you have to, every time you come back, we have to talk about a, that Dundee game. That Dundee game, I oh, know. And the Sports Sound interview. Like, I just feel this, <laughs> like there's no way to escape it. Well, um, I'll try to think of something new to say about it next time. <laughs> the worst thing about this is, I was, I was thinking about this today, like, when I was just going back through the fixtures again, and in a weird way, that, that period, that October, December, although there's some real horseshit in there, some of our best performances this season were in this little segment as well, which makes it even more depressing. Um, I'll be honest, from this point on, it, it just, it, it, it goes more fucking downhill. <laughs> It gets grim. It gets grim. There, there were uh, at least at this point, there were some horrendous games, but there was like some green shoots of something that you could hang on to. And I think nobody thought at any point this time last year that it was instantly going to switch and we were going to get like this amazing free flowing football every single week. But at least when we saw it in patches, you thought, right, yeah, okay, there's they do have that in them. All they need to do is do that more consistently, consistently, and that will come. Uh, spoiler, it didn't. Despite the, I'll call it inconsistency, we go into the winter break in the top six. Head of recruitment's in place now. We know what we need in terms of uh, strengthening the squad. All will be dandy. Absolutely. That's how I felt at the time. I, I was like, okay, cool. We've got to here. I can see some positives. There's been some horrendous stuff, but hopefully that means we can now go, this is what we need to sort out. We'll get into January. We'll sort it out. Like we're still well within. I, I even think at this point we're still within 
six or seven points of hearts, I think, in third. It's not like mm-hmm. we were miles away from them. It was a couple of wins, and you've, you've still played them twice. And Off the back of playing us, I think hearts went through a really difficult spell. That's what we'll do to you. Um, it's done to me all season, to be fair. I've gone through a difficult spell. But hey, it's, it's Tom, it's been a pleasure having you back in the show to plow through this dog shit once again. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having us. Um, we really should have planned to bring you on for a different part of the season. I'm sorry. It's fine. No, I'm uh, now an expert on this, this particular <laughs> run in October to December. Perfect, mate. Listen, hopefully we'll get a chance to speak to you in the new season. Um, we'll get that hat-trick ball off to you as well. A fine header. This season. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thanks very much for having us. Cheers. So that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever on your podcast player of choice. Before we leave, Gav, we just want to make a shout out to Cam McWilliam, his contribution to the ABZ FP beer and coffee fund. We see you. Your bread's appreciated, Cam. Your comments are also appreciated. Thank you very much. Absolutely. If you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers or coffees, Gav, the coffee is much appreciated, isn't it? Always, always. Regardless of what I'm doing, always appreciated. <laughs> Head over to ko-fi.com slash ABZ, the football podcast. The link is in the description. Buy us a beer or coffee. It's much appreciated. Join us next week for episode 47, where we're going to bring you part three. And I'm not going to lie, part three is where it gets a little bit dark. I'm suggesting we should maybe like title the part three section, the Adam Montgomery episode. Excellent. That's what we'll go with. Part three, the Adam Montgomery epilogue hashtag quality over quantity it's part three of our deep dive review of the 21-22 campaign in the company this time of what culture editor and presenter if we can tear him away from watching AEW's double or nothing this evening <laughs> it's the one and only Andy Murray and we're also going to bring you a chat with the club's commercial director Rob Wicks as we discuss the beach stadium plans we've gathered your questions you submitted to us on Twitter we're going to put them to Rob See what he's got to say about that. And we'll bring you any news of any developments at Pataudry on the recruitment front. Hang on, hang on, hang on. What's the name of this guy we're signing? Oh, mate, don't do not do this to me. Um, Albanian player. Big up. Y- How do you? Yilber Ramadani. Yeah, that's the one. Yilber Ramadani. Let's get that name into a song. Come on. <laughs> I saw somebody do it earlier on. He comes from Albania. Something about McCrory. Can't remember. It's basically the Funes Wojo song, but who knows? Anyway, we'll, we'll get there. I mean, good luck rhyming Albania. I feel like I have to find it now. He's Albanian. He plays in midfield with McCrory. He fucking hates Craig's story. Ramadani. <laughs> there we go. That is actually more petty than the Funes Wojo song. I, I endorse that. I love it. Big up to our new Albanian superstar. Let's see how he gets on in the Nations League this week. We're going to look really daft if this doesn't happen. I must admit, I see earlier on today when I heard about it for the first time, I did think this has like your da sells Avon vibes all over it. But this guy appears to be a legitimate player. So let's um, let's see what happens. Like I say, it's, it's more intriguing than signing, you know, Murray Davidson or fucking Alan Power. So <laughs> if we're going to go down, let's go down in flames. Absolutely. I've always quite fancied having like some sort of is Albania Eastern Europe? It's not really, is it? Um, I feel that's lazy. I feel that saying so would be displaying a great deal of geographical ignorance on my part. So I'm gonna. It's the Balkans, isn't it? Really? Is he the f- was? Is he the first 
Albanian player to play for Aberdeen if he does. He would be the first Albanian player to play. I haven't checked it, but I'm pretty Where's certain. Where's Cam from? Oh, oh, that's a good curveball, guys. I seem to recall. I recall seeing that he was the first Swiss player, but then someone corrected me and he was actually from somewhere like Albania. So you know what? You're right. No, Flo Camberry is Swiss, but he played for the Albanian national team. So he'd be the second Albanian internationalist to play for. He Albania. would be. Should yeah. he arrive? Of course, and not sign for. Well, no, Flo Camberry doesn't have an Albanian a cap. He's been called up into their 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 first. He's been called up to their squad, but he's never had a cap. There's probably a reason for that. Although I think actually that this lad was born in Germany. I think just to confuse matters. But there we go. We'll see what happens over the course of the next week. Stanford. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by McGinty's Sportsman's Lunch with Dick Campbell on the 17th of June. For just £35, you can look forward to a traditional two-course meal, after-lunch liqueur, speech and Q&A session with the SPFL Championship Manager of the Year, Dick Campbell, and a surprise appearance by a former AFC player. For more info, call 01224 626 720 or visit McGinty's Meal & Ale's social media channels. 